Well, good evening. My name is Mike Morgan. I'm the Senior Director of Caring Ministries here at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. I am not Drew Sams, so I apologize if you were looking forward to hearing from Drew. He's not going to be with us tonight, but he's invited me to speak. And we've been in this series called Invited, Participating in God's Passion. I think if you were here a couple weeks ago, we started talking about God's passion. I just was like, yeah, woo, I love that. Like, I want so badly to participate in the things that God is passionate about. So we've been looking in the Gospel of Mark these last number of weeks, and Mark is an eyewitness account. We've been journeying with Mark and with Jesus from the wilderness to the cross, and we've been specifically looking at that week before the cross, week before the, the crucifixion, and uh, so the last week of Jesus' ministry. And if you were here with us last week, what was Drew talking about? Do you guys remember? Do you remember the, the meal? The where is the lamb? Remember that? And he was talking about, you know, where is the lamb? Like, how come there's no lamb on the table? Well, there was a lamb seated at the table, right? And he took, you know, the, the cup. What cup was that? The cup of salvation, right? He says, I will not drink of this cup again with you until the kingdom of God comes again. And so he's passing around the cup of salvation. And now here we are. We're going to pick up again one more time in the book of Mark. So if you will, let's grab our Bibles. You have your pew Bible. It's either right in front of you at your knees or it's right underneath your seat. But we're going to be turning to the book of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 verses 32 through 42. If you uh, can't find it, it's in, on page 827 in your pew Bible. You ready? Let's do this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake for one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did, they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach this passage, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I am your vessel. I ask that you would use my tongue, that you would use my mind to communicate your word. And like I pray earlier, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand. We pray these things 
And in your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so to understand kind of where we are in this text, I think we should do a little bit of background. So we, we were at the Last Supper, remember? Uh, the disciples at the Last Supper, according to the Gospel of John, were beginning to understand. This was the same night. They were just beginning to understand what was going on. Keep your finger in, in the book of Mark. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Here we go. John chapter 16. John dedicates five books or five chapters in his book just to the meal, just to what Jesus was teaching during the meal. And this is part of it. John chapter 16, verses 29 through 32. It says, his disciples said, yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So here they are sitting at this table and Jesus is sharing with them this news. And they're like, oh, we're starting to get it. And so they get up from that table and they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. But in order to get from the, from the table to Gethsemane, they have to pass through what is known as the Kidron Valley. And Kidron in the Greek literally means full of darkness or gloomy. It's a gloomy place. And just so you have an idea as to like, you know, what's the distance? What's the terrain like? The terrain like? Well, Rebecca and I, my wife, we had the huge privilege to go to Israel. And we, we were, you know, in the Mount of Olives. And you look across and you see Jerusalem and you're like, whoa, we're here. And so just to give you an idea, it's, it's not totally accurate. But it, if you can imagine being on this side of the 405 freeway, okay, you're right here. And you have the American Jewish University on the other side of the 405. And you want to get there. Well, you just walk down one side, you go across the valley, and you go up to the other side, and you're there. It's literally like Skirball Center, American Jewish University. That's it. It's three-fourths of a mile. It's not a huge valley. It's not like over this valley, and you're like, whoa, they went on this huge, long journey. No, they just went kind of down, and then they went back up, and they did this all the time. But it was a gloomy, dark valley. Literally, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you can imagine, Jesus is, you know, he knows what he's about to go through. I can just picture him, you know, saying to himself, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's just holding on to that. And so they walk into this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you've been around here and you've heard Pastor Drew speak, you know that the, the Garden of Gethsemane is the Garden of the Olive Press. And I'm not going to get into how olives are pressed and how we're going to use the olive oil for different things. But there are three, there are three pressings. There is the um, weight of all the baskets on top of one another, and that's one press. And then they have these huge boulders, and they attach it to this uh, long wooden pole, and it presses it further, and they get a second press. And then there's another huge boulder, and they tie it to the pole, and it presses it even further, 
even further, and they get the third and final press. Jesus enters in to the olive press. And it's in this Garden of Gethsemane that we learn that Jesus gives his disciples three invitations or three, really, commands. Stay present, be alert, and pray. Stay present, be alert, and pray. Now, I don't want to jump into that too fast because I think that we would be, you know, in danger of missing one of the most significant moments in Jesus' ministry. I mean, we could go to the cross. We can go quickly to the cross. We can even go to the, to the empty tomb, and, and we're about to be there. I mean, we are so close to celebrating Easter, but I fear that if we go to the cross and we go to the tomb, we miss out on what's going on in the garden. So we look at Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 34. They, Jesus and the disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be deeply distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Jesus enters into the garden with 11 of his disciples. But he only invites three. Three into the deeper places of his soul. Three into the deeper places of the olive press. In fact, these are his three closest friends. Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. If you remember, Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee, and who does he choose? The first three, Peter, James, and John. In fact, they were business partners. They were fishermen, and they were his first called disciples. So three years later, we find ourselves in the garden, and Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and who does he invite in? His three closest friends. And he says, I am distressed. I am agitated. (laughs) I am deeply grieving. This suffering is noticeable. They had to be, it was written all over his face. He was wearing his emotions on his sleeves. It was noticeable that Jesus was upset. He was undergoing severe mental and physical suffering. I imagine him saying it something like this, I'm grieving so badly that I feel like I could die. And for some of us, that might bring us some comfort. Some comfort to know that you worship a God who knows what it feels like to grieve, who knows sorrow, who knows disappointment. In fact, I appreciate this part of the story because it shows us Jesus' humanity. I mean, Jesus literally throws himself on the ground face first, and he's praying for a way out. Dad, Abba, Daddy, a 33-year-old man saying, Daddy, you can 
I know you can. Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But please, not what I want. What do you want? I mean, you can hear his emotion in his prayer. It's full of anxiety, it's full of sorrow and suffering. It is a prayer of distress. Jesus doesn't just hear our prayers. Jesus knows our prayers. Jesus doesn't just carry our pain. Jesus knows our pain. But I think it's, it's a dangerous thing to say that we can feel his pain. We can't know his pain. We can't even begin to have an idea of the gravity of this scene. We have no concept. For Jesus, he said, I do only what the Father tells me to do. I say only what the Father tells me to say. And here Jesus is in the garden and he's praying three times. Three times he prays and three times he hears nothing. Silence. Deafening silence. There is no, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yet in his prayers and in his pain and even in the silence, Jesus remains faithful. Jesus, pressed three times, remains faithful. The disciples, pressed three times, are found sleeping. I mean, you can imagine it, right? I can picture myself there at looking into the Garden of Gethsemane right now, peering through the gates, and I can see Jesus lying on the ground praying. And I look over and I can see the disciples lying on the ground snoring. And it's so easy for me to put myself in Jesus' position. Oh my goodness. Look at those disciples. I can't believe it. They're sleeping. It's so easy for me to do that, but I don't think the word that God has for us this evening is for us to put ourselves in Jesus' position, but perhaps that we might put ourselves in the position of the disciples. The disciples were a well-meaning group of guys. I mean, they really were. They were full of good intentions. And they were starting to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is saying. And and yet we also learn in the Gospel of John that Jesus tells them this. John chapter 16, 1 through 3. I have said these things, Jesus is saying, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. 
Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. So the disciples have that to look forward to, which is nice, right? I mean, imagine the disciples' reactions. Um, I'm sorry? <laughs> what do you mean by an hour is coming? Uh, wait, did I just hear that we are going to be banned from the synagogue? Forget the synagogue. Didn't you just hear that they're, they're going to kill us? I mean, that's at the table. That's the table conversation that's going on right before they walk into the olive press. Things just got real. So what's the emotion of the disciples entering into Gethsemane? Would you say that they were maybe distressed? Maybe a little agitated? Deeply grieving? Maybe they were full of sorrow. Maybe they were feeling some similar feelings to Jesus. So perhaps it is for their sake that Jesus says, you must be present. You must be alert. You must pray. And what might they be praying? I mean, we, we know what Jesus was praying, but we have no idea what the disciples might have been praying. Perhaps it could be what we call the Lord's Prayer, which I think is kind of a misnomer. I think it's really the disciples' prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I imagine it was not, God, what is your will for my life? But more, God, how can my life be used to do your will? I mean, really, church, do we really not know what God wants for us? I mean, was that really Jesus' issue in the garden? Now, Father, what is it that you want me to do? I mean, is that Peter's issue around the fire? Jesus, now hold on, what do you want me to do in this situation? Is it really our church's issue today? God, I mean, what do you want us to do with the poor? I mean, what, what do you want us to do with those who are grieving or those who are marginalized or those who are considered outsiders? I mean, is that really our issue, church? No. We know what God wants for us. We know what God wants from us. Our problem is not knowledge. In fact, our problem is not good intentions. We're full of the greatest intentions. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And we know, I mean, we know anyone who has ever dealt with grieving, sadness, depression, whether it's yours or someone else's, we know that can be exhausting. 
So placing yourself as a disciple, yeah, they're exhausted. They're tired. And this is exactly why Jesus commands them. I mean, if you look in the Greek, it's an imperative. You must. You must stay present. You must be alert. You must pray. Why? So that when you're faced with your trial or when you're faced with the trial of another, when you're faced with the pain and sorrow of our brothers and sisters, that we would have the spiritual and physical and emotional strength to endure with them. We're not much different than the disciples, are we? We look at the disciples in the garden, we're like, how dare you fall asleep on Jesus? And yet if we placed ourselves in their position, we could say the same thing. How dare we fall asleep on our brothers and sisters? Jesus approached his disciples three times. And three times they were found sleeping. Church, we can't afford to be asleep. And tonight... Tonight we'll pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And next week, we're going to pray as one church. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven And I believe that God wants to do this. And I believe that God wants to do this in and through our lives. And so we pray this. In our prayers and in our lives, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. See, I believe that we know God's will. We must pray for the strength and courage to do it. I realize this is sober. And by no means am I pointing a finger. If anyone, it's straight back at me. But there's good news. When I was reading this passage, there is very good news that the cup of salvation, remember the cup of salvation that was, you know, being given, that was passed around at the table? That came before the garden. That's good news. Before the snoring, before the scattering, before the denial, the good news is that our salvation is not based upon our faithfulness. Rather, our hope is found in the faithful one. The faithful one, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. You know how we pray in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, amen, we say this? I've been meditating on that phrase, in Jesus' name. And when I think about the name of someone, Mike's name, Mike Morgan, right? Well, what do I care about that name? About the reputation of that name? And so when we pray, we are praying in the reputation for the sake of Jesus Christ's reputation. 
And so I invite us to pray this prayer together that our Lord taught the church to pray for the sake of Christ's reputation. Let's pray this together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.